ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so carrying on with this introduction into the virtues of dhikr, into the virtues of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the great benefits of it, we come here to the point where it mentions that the believers who sit in these gatherings of remembrance those who sit in these gatherings of remembrance, majalis al-dhikr, to aminu al-abda min al-hasra wal-nadama yawm al-qiyama, then those gatherings of knowledge will give safety and security to those individuals participating in them on the day of judgment. Gatherings of the remembrance of Allah they provide safety for the servants of Allah. Meaning that the believers who sit in those gatherings of knowledge, in those gatherings of the remembrance of Allah, then that becomes a means of safety and security for those individuals learning the religion of Allah, learning the Quran, learning the Sunnah, practicing it, implementing it, using their time in the remembrance of Allah, which is a means of increasing the Iman, which therefore leads to an increase in Ibadah, all of that aiding a person in his affair on the Day of Judgment. فَمَجَالِسُ الذِّكْرِ تُؤَمِّنُ الْعَبْدَ مِنَ الْحَصْرَ وَالنَّدَامَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ بِخِلَافْ مَجَالِسِ اللَّهُ وَالْغَفْلَةِ And that is contrary different to, opposite to the gatherings where they are gatherings of useless speech, gatherings of wasteful speech, useless sittings, people wasting their time together, those types of gatherings of negligence, then they are only going to be a means of regret for you on the day of judgment. When you sit around wasting your time with your friends, wasting your time, no remembrance of Allah, no Quran, no Sunnah, no supplication, then those gatherings will be a means of regret for an individual on the Day of Judgment. Also, from the narrations that talk about this affair is the narration that mentions that these gatherings of the remembrance of Allah, gatherings of the remembrance of Allah, gatherings of knowledge, gatherings of Quran, gatherings of Sunnah, they are gatherings that the mercy of Allah descends upon and tranquility and peace, serenity, calmness descends upon such gatherings. Majalisu al-dhikr sababun linuzul al-sakina wa ghashayan al-rahma wa hufuf al-malaika bi-dhakirin. The angels come and surround those gatherings and the mercy descends upon them, and the tranquility descends upon such gatherings. It is mentioned in Sahih Muslim, from the hadith of Abu Muslim, Al-Aghar, he says that Abu Hurairah and Abu Sa'id they witnessed the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, لا يقعد قوم في مجلس يذكرون الله فيه إلا حفتهم الملائكة وغشيتهم الرحمة 
ونزلت عليهم السكينة وذكرهم الله في من عنده that there is not a group of people who sit remembering Allah and when we say sitting and remembering Allah sitting in the gatherings of remembrance and dhikr we're not talking about the bid'ah and the innovation of the Sufis and their likes when they sit together and they recite Allahu Allahu and they do other things turn off the lights and whatever else that is not from the Sunnah and it's never been mentioned in the Sunnah that the Sahaba ever used to do that type of thing so these gatherings of remembrance these gatherings of dhikr we're talking about they are the gatherings upon the Sunnah the way the Salaf used to gather they used to gather and sit together revising the Quran revising the Sunnah that is all remembrance as we said that is dhikr so these gatherings when a group of people come together upon that gathering in remembrance of Allah then the angels surround them the hadith says and mercy befalls them and the tranquility descends upon them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions them to those in the heavens so the angels surround them, the mercy encompasses them, the, the serenity and tranquility descends upon them, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions them to those who are in the heavens. And the final benefit we'll mention here from these gatherings of knowledge, these gatherings of remembrance, these gatherings of the Quran and the Sunnah is that majalis al-dhikr sababun azimun min asbabi hifz al-lisan that the gatherings of knowledge they are a great and tremendous cause or reasons behind the protection of the tongue to make your tongue good and upright and save it from evil then attending the gatherings of the remembrance of Allah, the gatherings of knowledge, these types of gatherings, they cause your tongue to become upright and guard your tongue from the evil. So they protect it and preserve it and keep it safe from backbiting and from storytelling. وَالْكَذِبْ وَالْفُحْشْ وَالْبَاطِلِ And lying and, and wrongdoing and evil speech. فَإِنَّ الْعَبْدَ لَا بُدَّ لَهُ مِنْ أَنْ يَتَكَلَّمْ فَإِنْ لَمْ يَتَكَلَّمْ بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَذِكْرْ أَوَامِرِهِ بِالْخَيْرِ وَبِالْخَيْرِ وَالْفَائِدَةِ تَكَلَّمَ وَلَا بُدَّ بِهَذِهِ الْمُحَرَّمَاتِ أَوْ بَعْضِهَا If a person does not use his tongue, in the remembrance of Allah or in the remembrance of the commandments of Allah the Quran, the Sunnah and in goodness and benefit if you are not using your tongue in the remembrance of Allah in the Quran, in the Sunnah, in benefits if you're not using your tongue for any of that then the only alternative is you're going to end up using your tongue in the opposite of that, the backbiting, the storytelling, the haram, either you use your tongue in goodness and you preoccupy it with goodness. If you don't, then you're left with the opposite, the evil and the bad. And that is what will run upon your tongue then if the goodness and the remembrance and the Quran and the Sunnah is not running upon your tongue. فَمَنْ عَوَّدَ لِسَانَهُ عَلَى ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ So whomsoever makes his tongue accustomed to the remembrance of Allah صَانَ لِسَانَهُ عَنِ الْبَاطِلِ وَاللَّهُ He will then safeguard his tongue from the falsehood and the evil and the bad 
وَمَنْ يَبَسَ لِسَانُهُ عَنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ But whomsoever his tongue becomes dry from the remembrance of Allah, meaning that he's not doing any remembrance, نَطَقَ بِكُلِّ بَاطِلٍ وَلَغْوٍ وَفِحْشٍ then that individual will end up speaking with all of the falsehood and the wrong and the transgression. If you're not using your tongue for good, you're not preoccupying your tongue with good, then as Ibn al-Qayyim mentions here, you're going to end up using your tongue for bad. Therefore, the people who use it for good, they sit in the gatherings of knowledge, they sit in the gatherings of Quran and Sunnah, then they are hearing the religion, they are hearing Quran, they are hearing Sunnah, then their tongue is preoccupied with that thereafter. But those who are negligent of those gatherings, negligent of their religion, negligent of Quran and Sunnah, then their tongues will only have what they find from the evil and the bad to speak of. They do not have anything good to speak of. They do not attend the gatherings of remembrance and Quran and Sunnah to speak of. So either you use your tongue upon goodness and make it accustomed upon that, or the alternative will be that your tongue falls away into the evil and the bad in its usage. That is mentioned by Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullahu ta'ala. So then moving on, there is a section here which highlights that the remembrance of Allah is indeed from the most purifying of actions and from the best of actions. Inna dhikr Allah jalla wa ala huwa azka al-a'mal wa khayruha wa afdaluha inda Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala. The remembrance of Allah, it is from the most purifying of actions and from the best of the actions with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the hadith, which is in the musnad of Al-Imam Ahmad, and in the sunan of Ibn Majah, and in the mustadrak of Al-Hakim, and other than them, the hadith of Abu Darda, radiyallahu anhu qal, قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ألا أنبئكم بخير أعمالكم وأزكاها عند مليككم وأرفعها في درجاتكم وخير لكم من إعطاء الذهب والورق وخير لكم من أن تلقوا عدوكم فتضربوا أعناقهم ويضربوا أعناقكم قالوا بلى يا رسول الله قال ذكر الله عز وجل that the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم said shall I not inform you of the best of your actions and the most purifying of them with your Lord and the most highest of them in the levels and the best of them, or better than, even better than, you giving in charity with gold and silver, and even better than you meeting your enemy and striking their necks and them striking you. They said, of course, O Messenger of Allah. قال. So he said, it is the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this hadith, it highlights to you the great status of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And remember, like we said, gatherings of knowledge when you're studying the Qur'an is remembrance of Allah. Gatherings of knowledge, you're studying hadith is remembrance of Allah. It is not just remembrance you think you have to sit down and recite the words, subhanallah, alhamdulillah. That is remembrance. But similarly, Gatherings of the Qur'an, gatherings of the Sunnah, gatherings of knowledge. All of this is remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the general sense. And Ibn Rajab, rahimahullah, one of the great scholars of the past, he mentioned in Jami al-Ulum al-Hikam, the famous book, وَقَدْ تَكَاثَرَتْ النُّصُوصِ That there are multiple, many texts 
بتفضيل الذكر على الصدقة بالمال وغيره من الأعمال There are many texts indicating and showing the virtue, the higher virtue of the remembrance of Allah, this action of the remembrance of Allah over giving in charity with money and over and above other actions also. So this highlights what a tremendous action and worship it is to be in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is another narration here. Rawa ibn Abi Dunya fi al-targhib wa al-targhib lil-munthiri qal isnadu hasan an al-a'mash an Salim ibn Abi al-Ja'ad qal qila li Abi al-Darda It was said to Abu al-Darda radiyallahu anhu the companion. It was said to Abu al-Darda radiyallahu anhu the companion. إن رجلا أعتق مئة نسمة. It was said to Abu Darda رضي الله عنه the companion that a man such and such has freed a hundred slaves. Such and such a man he has freed a hundred slaves. That's a righteous deed. قال he said a hundred individuals from the wealth of one man, he freed a hundred, that's a lot. That is something good, that is a lot. But even better than that, Iman which remains with you. It is something necessitated and with you day and night. وَأَنْ لَا يَزَالَ لِسَانُ أَحَدِيكُمْ رَطِبًا مِنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ And that the tongue of one of you does not cease to be moist in the remembrance of Allah. That your tongues are always moist upon the remembrance of Allah, he says to him, is better than freeing a hundred slaves. So this all indicates to you that great virtue. فَبَيَّنَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ فَضْلَ عِتْقِ الرِّقَابُ وَأَنَّهُ مَا عِظَمِ فَضْلِهِ لَا يَعْدِلُ مُلَازَمَةُ الذِّكْرِ وَالْمُدَاوَمَةُ عَلَيْهِ So even though it is a great act to free a hundred slaves, it is still not comparable to the great virtue of the remembrance of Allah constantly and always, day and night. And there are many narrations from the Salaf that mention this, how they used to be upon constant remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even in our time now, they say about a Sheikh bin Baz, rahimahullahu ta'ala, they say that his lips would always be moving. Even they say if it was a lecture going on, and they've just sat down, and the host is introducing the lecture tonight. We're here with our Sheikh, Sheikh bin Baz, etc. The host is doing the intro that's going to take a couple of minutes. They say in that time the Sheikh would be sat there and you would notice that his tongue was moving and his lips were moving. That he was upon the remembrance of Allah reciting these supplications whilst the host was doing his two or three minute intro at the beginning of the lecture. Even at those moments, even at those moments, so this is something established and something to be done. It is mentioned from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu, one of the companions. لَأَنْ أُسَبِّحَ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى تَسْبِيحَاتٍ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ مِنْ أَنْ أُنْفِقَ عَدَدَهُنَّ دَنَانِيرَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ He said if I... Do the tasbih of Allah, subhanallah, subhanallah. For me to do that a certain number of times, let's say it was a hundred times for example, for me to do that a certain number of times, he says, is more beloved to me than to spend that equivalent number in charity in money. 
So for example, a hundred. For me to do the remembrance of Allah a hundred times, subhanallah, 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 a hundred times, for example, he says that is more beloved to me than to have a hundred dirhams, a hundred pounds as we say now, and give that in charity. A hundred pounds in charity in the path of Allah, that's a great deed. He says for me to do a hundred remembrances, I would view that greater than even giving a hundred pounds in charity. This is the level of the importance. Just like that, there are several other narrations that are found from the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, and from the Tabi'een, where they spoke about this same point. That they used to view the remembrance of Allah as a greater deed than even giving in charity. As a greater deed than even giving in charity, equivalent to that amount of dhikr. That does not mean, of course, that it is a belittlement of giving in charity in any way. That is a tremendous act of worship. Yet the Salaf, it is just to prove how much virtue they gave to the remembrance of Allah. Charity in the path of Allah being such a great act of worship. Yet, look at how much virtue and understanding they had of the importance of dhikr. That they would view that as even more than charity in the path of Allah. We'll move on to the next chapter. Just to give some brief background, as we said, before moving on to the meanings of the different adhkar. We've now seen the virtues of dhikr, the level of dhikr, what importance it has. Now, just a couple of narrations to highlight the virtue of doing dhikr a lot. That it's not something you should just do occasionally. Rather, dhikr should be something that you are upon a lot. So for example, there is the ayah in the Qur'an which clearly states, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ ذِكْرًا كَثِيرًا Oh you who believe, then do the remembrance of Allah plentifully. So that is a command in the Qur'an. A command in the Qur'an for us, to be upon the remembrance of Allah plentifully. Not to be upon neglect. And not to be upon some minor form of remembrance here and there. And if a person really considers his own state. And you think about supplications as in supplications themselves. In the tasbih and the tahmeed. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar. How many times does a person do this during the day? How many times does a person remember his adhkar during the day? And think about the adhkar which are prescribed exactly. For example, after the prayers. The adhkar that are prescribed after the prayers. Many people do not even guard over those adhkar, let alone anything else during the day. Many people, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, and gone. There is no such thing as sitting down and staying there, spending some moments in the remembrance of Allah, fulfilling the sunnah in the adhkar that are established. So if a person really examines his own state, then you consider what is it that you do from the remembrance of Allah in terms of the actual supplications. Do you even fulfill the supplications after the obligatory prayers? The recitation of Ayatul Kursi, the recitation of uh, Al-Ikhlas, and the recitation of Al-Falaq, and the recitation of Al-Nas. Do you even do the basics? The Subhanallah 33, Alhamdulillah 33, Allahu Akbar 33, then La ilaha illallah, and the remainder, or 25, 25, 25, and La ilaha illallah 25, or 10, 10, 10 even. There are variations a person can do. So does a person guard over this? 
Going to sleep, does a person guard over the supplications of sleep? Waking up in the morning, how many people remember to do the dua of sleep and then the dua of waking up? The dua of leaving your home, of entering, of the bathroom, the dua of your eating of the food and finishing of your clothes and wearing and of your riding a, a machine, your cars these days. How many people even know any of those duas? Imagine if you knew the du'as of all of these different things on a daily basis. And you recited them on a daily basis every time you did those things. Every day you do that, it only takes the first week or two and you memorize them. The first week or two you use your book. Use your book the first week or two to get all of those adhkar, but you do them on a daily basis. In a couple of weeks you don't need the book. In a couple of weeks now you know all of those adhkar memorized and you do them in every moment of the day where it is applicable. So an individual needs to examine his state when it comes to the remembrance of Allah in specific to the actual supplications. Then the next point we have to mention is, after having mentioned several sections now talking about the virtues of dhikr, the level and the rank of dhikr, the importance of dhikr, the need to do plentiful dhikr. Now what we need to mention is the dispraiseworthiness of neglect in dhikr. The dispraiseworthiness, the disparagement, the, the badness of being negligent in dhikr. Inna Allah Ta'ala لما أمر بذكره في القرآن الكريم وحث عليه ورغب فيه في آي كثيرة منه حذر أيضا من الوقوع في ضده وهو الغفلة When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned multiple ayat and multiple places in the Quran encouraging us to do the dhikr then you will also notice Allah has mentioned in various places the dispraiseworthiness of the ones who are negligent of dhikr. And Allah has warned us from falling into negligence of His remembrance. إِذْ لَا يَتِمُّ الذِّكْرِ لِلَّهِ حَقِيقَةً إِلَّا بِالتَّخَلُّصْ مِنَ الْغَفْلَ وَالْبَعْدِ عَنْهَا You cannot perfect your remembrance of Allah except through eradicating, getting rid of the negligence. You need to remove that negligence and distance yourself from that state in order that you can then perfect your remembrance of Allah. وَقَدْ جَمَعَ اللَّهُ بَيْنَ هَذَيْنِ الْأَمْرَيْنِ فِي آيَةٍ وَاحِدًا مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ أَعْنِي الْأَمْرِ بِالذِّكْرِ وَنَهِي عَنِ الْغَفْلَةِ وَذَلِكَ فِي قَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى مِنْ آخِرِ سُورَةِ الْأَعْرَافِ وَاذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ فِي نَفْسِكَ تَضَرُّعًا وَخِيفَةً وَدُونَ الْجَهْرِ مِنَ الْقَوْلِ بِالْغُدُوِّ وَالْأَصَالِ وَلَا تَكُمْ مِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ This ayah in Surah Al-A'raf 205 Surah Al-A'raf 205 In this ayah, it is the one ayah where Allah encourages us to do the dhikr and at the same time, at the end of it, warns us against negligence. Together, in one ayah. So look at the beginning, it says, And do the remembrance of your Lord. Submission, in submission. Do the remembrance of your Lord and of yourself in submission of Him and in fear. دون الجهر without out loud من القول بالغدو والأصال morning and evening do that remembrance ولا تكن من الغافلين and do not be from the negligent ones do not be from the negligent ones هو دغافلين الذين نسوا الله فأنساهم أنفسهم those who forgot Allah and so Allah forgot themselves, or made them forget themselves. فَإِنَّهُمْ حُرِمُوا خَيْرَيْ الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ 
So they have been deprived. Those people who are negligent of the remembrance of Allah, they have been deprived of two goodnesses. خيري الدنيا والآخرة The goodness of this world and the goodness of the hereafter. وَأَعْرَضُوا عَمَّنْ كُلُّ السَّعَادَةِ وَالْفَوْزِ فِي ذِكْرِهِ وَعُبُودِيَّتِهِ And they have shunned away from the one whom his remembrance will bring about all of the goodness for you, all of the success and the happiness for you. The one whom if you remember and worship, that will bring you goodness and happiness and success. Yet they shunned away from that. And that is the reality of the people. Those who you see in grief and worry and sorrow and depression. Why do you see them in that state? Because of the negligence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have emptiness and a void and a vacuum in their hearts. No remembrance of Allah, no connection with their Lord. No supplication, no dua. From that disconnection of theirs. That is what brings about that loneliness and that void in their hearts. That they have nothing in their hearts. And so you see them upon depression and sadness and worry and concern in this world. Whereas as we mentioned previously, the believers, the people of Iman, they are always, their condition and their state and their situation is always a state and condition and a situation of goodness. Whether it is something bad that has occurred to them or something good. If something has occurred to them of badness that they didn't want, then they simply demonstrate patience and trust in Allah and make dua to Allah to relieve them from that. And if something good happens to them, then they simply thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So whatever their state, it is goodness for them. Patience in difficulty and that is reward and raising of their rank for them. Gratitude to Allah when blessed with something and that is good and reward and raising of their rank with Allah. But that is for the believer, the mu'min, who has the remembrance of Allah in his heart. But those people out there who you see in depression and sadness and grief and they're on medicines and this and that. One of the biggest issues they have is their negligence in their religion and their iman. If they had that strength in their iman, then it would remove a vast proportion of their difficulties they experience. Because they would then be able to be patient. But due to the lack of iman and the weakness in it, then they do not recognize the reality of patience and how to perform that. Araf 205. والغفلة داء خطير إذا اعترى الإنسان وتمكن منه لم يشتغل بطاعة الله وذكره وعبادته. Negligence is a disease. Negligence is a disease. If negligence overcomes a person, negligence overcomes a person and takes Hold of a person, takes hold of a person, then that individual will never engage in the uh, obedience of Allah and the remembrance of Allah and the worship of Allah. Negligence overcomes him, laziness, wasting his time, nothing about the religion, that overcomes him, then he will not be upon the obedience to Allah or the remembrance of Allah. Instead, what will he do with his life? Instead, they have gone to the one whom all of grief and loss and degradation is with him. Meaning that they've gone towards the shaitan and negligence and his whisperings. 
And that is what brings about all of the grief and the loss and the degradation upon them. So it is important therefore to remember that this dhikr of Allah is something that needs to be persistent. And not to fall into the whisperings of the shaitan in losing that dhikr and in becoming uh, negligent of it. In Al-Bukhari and Muslim, there is a hadith of Abu Musa Al-Ash'ari radiyallahu anhu anin Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said مَثَلُ الَّذِي يَذْكُرُ اللَّهُ أو يَذْكُرُ رَبَّهُ وَالَّذِي لَا يَذْكُرُهُ مَثَلُ الْحَيِّ وَالْمَيِّتِ the example of the one who remembers his Lord and the one who does not. The example of the one who remembers his Lord and the one who does not is like the example of the one who is alive and the one who is dead. That is mentioned by a companion, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. Anhu. The one who remembers Allah and the one who does not is like the one who is alive and the one who is dead. In another narration of the same hadith in Muslim, مَثَلُ الْبَيْتِ الَّذِي يُذْكَرُ اللَّهُ فِيهِ وَالْبَيْتُ الَّذِي لَا يُذْكَرُ اللَّهُ فِيهِ مَثَلُ الْحَيِّ وَالْمَيِّتِ The example of a household where the remembrance of Allah is done in it and a household where the remembrance of Allah is not done in it is like the example of somebody alive and somebody dead. A home where the remembrance of Allah occurs within it is like somebody alive. But a home where the remembrance of Allah does not occur in it, then it's like the example of somebody dead. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan once mentioned, Hafizahullah, do not make your homes like the graveyards. Do not make your homes like the graveyards. What does that mean? So what does it mean, don't make your homes like the graveyards? In the graveyards, you don't do worship in terms of Quran or, or prayer. You don't do those types of worship in the graveyard. If your home is like the graveyard, then the meaning of it is, you're not doing nothing in your house. You're not praying. You're not doing Quran. You're not doing anything. The Shaykh said, do not make your homes like the graveyards. Do not make your homes like the graveyards. Pray in your homes. Do the nawafil prayers. Recite the Quran in your homes. Do all of these things in your homes. In the graveyard, you don't do that type of thing. Don't make your home like a graveyard. Use your home and make it enlightened with the remembrance of Allah, the prayer, the Quran. So that is something a person should strive with. So that is also mentioned in the hadith itself, the hadith of Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu, where the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, La taj'alu buyutakum qubura, wa la taj'alu qabri ida, do not make your homes graves and do not make my grave a place of repetitive visitation and pray upon me for indeed your prayers they reach me from wherever you are. So do not make your homes like graves and do not make my grave my grave, a place of repetitive visitation, and send the salutations upon me, for indeed they will reach me from wherever you, from wherever you are. Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah said regarding this, La taj'alu buyutakum qubura, do not make your homes graves, qal, ay la tu'attiluha anis-salah. فيها والدعاء والقراءة فتكون بمنزلة القبور 
Ibn Taymiyyah said, meaning, do not make your homes absent of prayer. Do not make your homes absent of prayers in them, and dua in them, and recitation in them. If you make your homes null and void from those things, absent from those things, then you have made your homes equivalent to graves, because the graveyards are absent from prayer and those things. فَأَمَّرَ بِتَحَرِّيَ الْعِبَادَ فِي الْبُيُوتِ Therefore the Prophet ﷺ commanded us to give an importance to making sure there is worship happening in the home. وَنَهَا عَنْ تَحَرِّيهَا عِنْدَ الْقُبُورِ And he prohibited us from doing those worships and making a point of doing them at the graveyards. Prohibited us from the prayer etc. there. But commanded us to make a point of doing the worship in the homes. عَكْسَ مَا يَفْعَلُهُ الْمُشْرِكُونَ مِنَ النَّصَارَ وَمَنْ تَشَبَّهَ بِهِمْ And that is opposite to what the Christians and their likes they do, whereby they make the graveyards the places of worship and their homes the places of no worship. And you see that from the likes of the Sufis now too. The graves and the graveyards are the places of worship and dua and Quran and prayer, and the homes are nothing. Such that they bury their dead within the mosques. Something which the Prophet ﷺ forbade us from. And if a person was to say to you, well then why is the grave of the Prophet ﷺ in the mosque? Then what do you say? What are you going to say then? Anybody else? What are you going to say? Hmm? Alright, but the spot he died wasn't in the mosque. It was in the house of Aisha. So why is that now in the mosque? So, the Prophet ﷺ was obviously buried in the house of Aisha radiallahu anha, which used to be right next door to the mosque. Such that if you were to look out of the window of the house of Aisha, you're basically in the mosque of the Prophet right next door. He was buried there, outside of the mosque, in the house of Aisha. So now that side, expansion never occurred. When they were expanding the mosque as the years went by and the Muslims' numbers increased, they expanded that way and that way and all of the other ways, but they couldn't expand in the direction of the house of Aisha anha, until eventually the numbers of the Muslims and the expansions, they got to a point where it became extremely difficult. They needed to do something. So the ruler at the time made the decision that we're going to have to expand beyond the direction of the house of Aisha radiallahu anha. Going to have to take that space too. The scholars at the time, centuries ago of course this was, the scholars at the time generally did not agree. They still wanted to try and avoid going that direction if possible. But the ruler made the decision, the ruler is the ruler, and they went that way. When they went that way, of course, the dua of the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ made a dua that his grave should never become a place of worship. And that has of course been answered. Because even though the expansion occurred that way, engulfed the grave of the Prophet ﷺ from that necessity at the time, walls were erected on three sides. Absolutely no sight or access whatsoever, completely blocked off. Separate in its own space. Only one side you can see with the cage area. But there is no ability to go and worship in there, to pray to it, to prostrate to the grave. You cannot do any of that. Completely blocked off from all sides with walls up to the ceiling. Completely blocked only from the front you can see and give the salam. And they will not allow you to prostrate and start worshipping there either. So the mosque of the Prophet it was there, and the grave was next door. Eventually, because of the expansion, it engulfed the grave, but even then, it's been completely blocked off. 
There is no access to the grave. You cannot get in there and pray in it or pray towards it. Completely blocked off. So it is something separate and distinct. And there is no shirk which is permitted. Gods are stood there all the time, 24-7, preventing anybody. If there, anybody was prostrating or trying to do prayer to the Prophet they'd be pulled up straight away. So that is preserved and protected in that way. The Salaf, they even used to say, if you get near the grave of the Prophet don't stop there and make dua, even if you're facing the Qibla. Even if you're facing the Qibla, don't stop there. Just go on, go outside, inside, other area. Why stop there and make dua? Salaf didn't used to like it. To be near that area where the Prophet's grave was, to be at that side of the mosque and be making dua. Lest, in case, some of the ignorant ones think that there must be some virtue to making dua near the grave of the Prophet. And so the ignorant ones may go and try and make dua there particularly. And there is no sunnah for that, there is no virtue for that. When you go, you give the salam as per the sunnah and you move along. That is perhaps where we'll end today. Next week what we'll begin with is the mannerisms of how to do dhikr. And then we're going to start talking about the Qur'an. The greatest dhikr is the Qur'an. So one more small section left about the mannerisms of dhikr. And that's basically the introduction done. Then we'll begin into the first major topic, which is the Qur'an itself. Dhikr in terms of the Qur'an itself and all types of details about the Qur'an Virtues of the Qur'an, recitation of the Qur'an, different chapters of the Qur'an, which parts are better, which are less. Various details, all types of things about the Qur'an. There's maybe 10, 15, 20 chapters here about the Qur'an. So that will give you an in-depth, detailed knowledge and understanding of the Qur'an. All of the narrations and virtues and recitation and parts and ayat and surahs of the Qur'an. That, insha'Allah ta'ala, is what we'll start with then from next week. Any questions on what we've done so far this week? Go on. A person is in an environment of haram. Whatever that environment of haram may be. It's a strange scenario because an individual, if he's in an environment of haram, he should be making the, mess, the best of effort to get out of that environment of haram. No, because if you're working in an environment of haram, you need to get out of that environment of haram and find another job. It's not an excuse. You can't say this is my job. And they have music playing 24-7 on top of you where you're sat in your office. And that's their policy. You can't stay in an office where they've got pop music and everything else playing in there. You've got to find another job. So you can't stay in haram environments. If you were forced, if you were forced, you need to catch a train. You're getting your train. On the train, suddenly they put the radio on with music on it. So you preoccupy yourself with dhikr, to block out the music, you're doing your dhikr, you're doing remembrance, you're reciting Qur'an, you're doing that. That is obviously good. You're in a stuck situation where that haram is now occurring, you're on that train, you've got to wait till the next stop to get off, they put music on, nothing you can do about it. So now you try and block that out and you do remembrance on Qur'an, etc. That's good, of course. Is there a more reward for that scenario? I don't know, I don't remember any narration. Maybe. Allahu alam. There could be some narrations about it. But if you're stuck in a situation and you're doing that remembrance to block out that, that's good, of course. Is there a greater reward in a narration? I don't know. I don't remember anything. Hmm. If you are doing the adhkar and you don't know their meanings, there's a massive level of the action which is depleted and taken away from you. 
you're missing out on a massive part of the purpose of adhkar. So really, you need to learn the meanings of what you're reading. If you memorize a dua to read, learn the meaning of what it means. You memorize the dua of waking up, learn what it means so you know what you're talking about when you're saying it. The whole purpose of the adhkar is that you understand what you're saying. If a person doesn't understand, then you've lost a huge part of what the purpose is. So the adhkar that you know and learn and remember, you should learn their meanings with it. You can do so. If, because there you are genuinely excused by the sharia. If a person genuinely overslept, then when you get up, you pray and you can do your adhkar for it afterwards. Mm. Then it would just be once after the prayer finishes. You do your one set after the prayer finishes. Uh, because there isn't really a stoppage to do adhkar and then to combine your prayer, you get up and combine. So in that situation, the scholars will say you just do something, whatever you're going to do at the end, and that's it. If what? Some scholars, they say you can pray them at the end, after the combination of the prayer. Normally, Sheikh bin Baz, like we said, he just said, keep your prayers in order. So the first one first. Uh, Sheikh bin Baz said, keep your prayers in order. All right, we'll conclude there. Carry on next week, inshallah. In fact, there's a class tomorrow, 7, what time? After Isha tomorrow, you know, Abu Arwa comes and does the khutbah sometimes. That's going to happen tomorrow, inshallah, after Isha. Uh, the book of Ibn, Ibn Rajab, which Zad al-Ma'ad, is going to be the book of Ibn al-Qayyim then. Tomorrow after Isha comes all, inshallah ta'ala.